Thanks, Stephen. Um, so I'll be reading from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 9 to 12, and that'll appear on the screens. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Thanks, Mike. Well, morning, everyone. Happy Easter. Paul Coop is my name. Uh, most people call me Coops. And I'm one of the pastors here at um, Trinity Church Mobbury. So welcome, I'll add my welcome to Stephen's. And uh, a very special welcome too if you're new or you're visiting us this morning. It's wonderful to have you here today with us. Uh, it's really great to have you along. And it's wonderful, isn't it, to gather. It's, it's wonderful every Sunday to gather, but maybe today especially. Because today we remember Jesus risen from the dead. It's the one event that proves that death really isn't the end. And that uh, it proves God's offer of life through his son, through his son, Jesus Christ, that it's real and that's a genuine offer of life. And uh, I know some of you know this, but you know, for a lot of my life, I didn't know that God's offer was real. Um, back then, years ago, Easter was really about these for me, Cadbury cream eggs. I think these are one of the uh, most quality eggs that we have on the market. I love them and I still do. It was one year, it was a dare to eat five of these in a row, and I did it. They went down, no problem. And um, yeah, that was my highlight. <laughs> Deb thinks that's hilarious. It was pretty funny. Um, but it was my highlight, actually, and it was my highlight for many, many Easter's. Cadbury cream eggs. And the fact that I could handle about 17 kilos of sugar all at once. But you know, the thing is, um, they are really good, these Cadbury cream eggs, but as good as they are, they're not my Easter highlight anymore. And I was in my 30s when I realised that um, all these biographies of Jesus in the Bible, all these accounts that describe his life and his death, they're all written by different people. They're all written at different times. They're all written in different places. But they all say the same thing. Jesus died and he rose to life again. And it all happened so that he could forgive me. <laughs> like, who am I to God? Who am I compared to him? But I realised that Jesus died so that I can be with God forever. That's the truth of Easter. And the fact of that, that it's a real offer. And that God holds that offer out to each of us, that reality. That death is not the end. So let's pray as we get into this passage. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us this morning. Father, we ask that you'd prepare us to hear your word well and to see how you've worked in our world with your great love to save us. 
And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we heard from Stephen um, uh, just uh, before. 700 years ago, Isaiah wrote this book. 700 years. Did I say 700 years ago? That would make it quite soon. 700 years before Jesus was born, he wrote this. And uh, in this book, if you read it from the beginning, Isaiah urges the people of Judah, God's people, to trust God. And they really struggle to do that. So as a result, they're defeated by the Babylonians. They're sent into exile, all of which Isaiah said would happen. And Isaiah goes on to say, well, eventually God will return them to their homeland. And that happened as well. And he says they'll still struggle to trust God, which is true. They did. And then we get towards the end of the book, which is where we are today in Isaiah 53. And Isaiah holds out this great hope. God is faithful, even when God's people aren't. And that God will provide a way to redeem his people, to sort out this problem that his people have. And that's what we see described here in chapter 53. And it's described as an innocent man who would die, but who didn't stay dead. And that he'd be the means of bringing people to God. Now we have this really privileged place in history, don't we? This side of Jesus' crucifixion. We know the account of Jesus. We know his life and his death and his resurrection to life again. And so we look at Isaiah 53 and we can see that it fits Jesus very, very well. And in fact, Jesus himself confirmed it. This is from Luke, the Gospel of Luke from chapter 22. And these are Jesus' words. So as Jesus' death is getting close, Jesus says, It's written and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what's written about me is reaching its fulfilment. So Isaiah 53, chapter 53, it points us to Jesus. Jesus did die an innocent man. He didn't stay dead. And he does give life. It's through him that we're brought to God. So they're the three points that we're going to look at today. The death of an innocent man. His death was not the end. And through Jesus, there's life. There's our three points. So firstly, the death of an innocent man. Well, there in verse 9, it says he was assigned a grave. So that's to say he was destined to die. But he'd done no violence, had no deceit in his mouth. Now, have you ever met anyone like that? Could you imagine meeting somebody like that? It's one thing not to strike back at someone through violence, isn't it? But quite another to say there's no deceit in his mouth, who only ever spoke truth. Now, who could ever say that they did that? It's not just not telling an out-and-out lie. You know, it's also just not telling part of the truth, you know, like glossing over something because, you know, it's sort of mainly true. It's not even that. There's no deceit in this man's mouth. Only truth. So you couldn't describe this man as wicked. And yet here it says he was destined to die. How does that stack up? How could he deserve that? And particularly since... We know that the Bible tells us that death is the consequence of sin. And that sin, as Stephen was talking about in our all-ages spot, is what the Bible means by turning away from God. God created the world. He created everything in it. He created it out of nothing. So we know it's all his. It didn't come from anyone else. But we turn away from him. We don't want to listen to what he says about how we should live in his world. 
That's what sin is, wanting to live our own way. And yet we can't do it properly, can we? We just mess up God's world and the things in it, including our own lives. And we create disorder and hurt. And so God can't let that go on forever. It's his. And if we ignore him, he's not going to let us live forever. So death is what happens when we turn our back on God. Now, uh, Jesus had a disciple called Peter and he spent three years with Jesus. He knew Jesus very well. And he wrote a letter and he refers to Isaiah in his letter. He says this about Jesus. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. So these aren't just empty words, are they? This is Peter talking about Jesus who'd done no violence, had no deceit. This is who Isaiah is pointing to. He was not sinful. He only ever lived God's way. And yet he was destined to die. And it gets even more unexpected in this passage from Isaiah because he goes on to say, this is the Lord's will. Isaiah says his death and suffering was planned, this man who'd done no violence, no deceit, no sin, who didn't deserve death, but he'd die because it was the Lord's will. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't just a good person who was in the wrong place at the wrong time. It was all planned. And so why? Why the death of someone innocent, all planned out by the Lord? And the next part here in verse 10 gives us the answer. You see, the Lord makes his life an offering for sin. That's why. His life deals with our problem of sin. And so we start to see the beginning of the Lord's plan to fix this problem that we have. Of sin, which Jesus does willingly here in verse 12. He poured out his life. He did that himself, all in accordance with the Lord's plan. He went to his suffering death voluntarily because he knows that his death is what would make it possible for us to be reconciled to the Lord. And so we start to see, don't we, from these verses how this works. Yeah, who can pay for the sin of someone else? Who can pay for the sin of others? Someone who doesn't have any sin. Someone who's got no debt to pay. And someone that's human because it's a human debt. But someone whose life's got such a value they could actually pay for it. All fulfilled in Jesus. He had no debt of sin to pay to the Lord. He's the son of God. He is God. He's immensely valuable. And yet he took on flesh, so he's human. He's all of those things. So do you see what God's done here? And can you imagine a bigger act of love than that? This thing planned in eternity, taking on our punishment for himself to pay that huge human debt. And he can pay all of our debt by dying in our place. That's what Isaiah is talking about here. 700 years before Jesus walked the streets of Jerusalem. The willing death of Jesus sent to save sinners. But it doesn't end there because Isaiah makes it clear that his death is not the end. And that's the second point that I'd like to cover. His death was not the end. 
See, Isaiah goes on here in verse 10 to say that although this man will be crushed, he'll see his offspring and prolong his days. Now, you normally talk about somebody or somebody's death. You don't talk about them seeing their offspring, do you? Or their days being prolonged. If they die, they have no more days. But verse 11 says he'll see the light of life. His death is not the end. After death, he'll have life. He'll be raised from the dead. Now, if you put those things together, it makes sense, really. If death is what happens because of sin, but Jesus wasn't sinful, if he really was the sinless one, then he must be raised from the dead, mustn't he? He died, but he didn't earn death through sin. So he had to be raised to life again, to see his offspring, all those who accept him and what he did for them. And it's that resurrection of Jesus that proves everything that Christians believe in. If Jesus didn't rise again from the dead, then none of it really makes any difference at all. The Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says these words, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people most to be pitied. See, if Jesus didn't rise, then he didn't defeat death, means there's no hope beyond this life. But he did rise again. And the Apostle Paul goes on to say, or earlier in this letter, 1 Corinthians 15, that over 500 people saw him raised and alive. And go on and ask them, Paul seems to say. You know, some of them are still living, Paul says as he pens this letter. If you don't believe me, go and ask one of the 500 that saw him. Now, obviously, we can't do that. We can't go and ask one of the 500. But we've got it all written down for us in the Bible. And we can believe that. Now, everyone's heard of Julius Caesar. I think I've only ever met one person who claimed they didn't know who Julius Caesar was. So I'm going to take it that we've all heard of Julius Caesar, Roman emperor. Here's a statue of him in the New York Museum of Metropolitan Art. So he's got very high cheekbones, hasn't he, Julius Caesar? And there's no historian that denies that uh, Caesar existed and that he conquered the Gauls. And that Gaul was a you know, modern-day France, a bit of Belgium, Germany, a bit of Italy thrown in there. There was a war, and Caesar wrote about that war, Caesar's Gallic Wars, it's called. No one denies that that happened, right? That is fact. So if I stood up here and said, you know what, never happened, big hoax. Um, if you're anything like me, you might need a quick look on Google. But you'd say, I was nuts. It happened. It's an accepted fact, and no one denies it. And it's accepted fact because we have 10 copies of the document that Caesar wrote that told us about this war. 10 copies. How many do you reckon we have of Jesus' resurrection? Feel free to yell it out. How many do you reckon we've got? 500. It's really hard to hear up here, actually. But someone said 500. It's a good guess. We have 5,000 copies. 5,000 copies of Jesus, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And many of those copies actually are dated to an original that was written closer to the actual event than Caesar's were. 5,000 copies. 
So the accounts that we've got here in the Bible of the resurrection, they're fact. By any modern measure, the resurrection of Jesus happened. And more than that, Isaiah wrote about it 700 years before it happened. So do you see the Lord's plan here? This is the Lord's plan unfolding just as he said it would. The death of his sinless son, Jesus Christ, and his resurrection from the dead, proving that he did defeat death, proving that he was sinless, and that he is the son of God, the only person to have been without sin, and proving that he lives right now at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And it's because of all of those things that there is life for us through him. Which brings me to the final point. Through Jesus there is life. Now in the rest of this passage, Isaiah proclaims this gift to anyone who wants to take it up. He says here, this suffering servant, he'll justify many by bearing their sin. Because to be reconciled to the Lord, there's a debt to be paid. For justice to be done, there's a penalty. You can't just turn your back on the Creator and just sort of expect all of that to be forgotten. The Lord's got every right to be angry about that. We are transgressors, wrongdoers, lawbreakers, outlaws. And if God wasn't angry about it, it would mean He just didn't care. It would mean he just doesn't care that we reject his way, the way that's best for us to live. But he does care. Cares a lot. He loves a lot. And so his anger is justified. But Jesus died to take that punishment of death and the Lord's right anger. And I wonder if you can imagine facing that, the Lord's anger for all our rejection of him. That is fearful. And Jesus, the Son of God, faced it so we don't have to. God himself bears our sin. That is love. And if we trust that Jesus did that for us, then we are seen as sinless, forgiven. And Jesus interceding between us and the Father. Jesus' sinlessness accounted to us. That's how we're brought to the Lord. Because Jesus dealt with that penalty and the anger for us. Now, as I said earlier, the Lord made everything, including us, and He made us to be with Him. That's what fulfillment is. It's not material objects, it's not money, it's not influence, it's to be reconciled with our Creator. And it is all possible because Jesus' death and resurrection. So, Isaiah here, he maps out the Lord's plan to give us life. It shows us the Lord always intended to fix this problem that we've got because we can't do it ourselves. And so if you've already recognised who Jesus is and committed your life to him, then you already know the love of the Lord foretold here by Isaiah, the Lord's plan to deal with our problem for us, to provide a way for us to be with him forever, forgiven and loved. And that is a fact that will never get old. We can hold on to that. Reflect on it. Come back to it when we struggle. That is our anchor. That is the surety of our faith. 
And if you're still taking a closer look at Jesus, or maybe you're here and, and you're not looking at all, that was me years ago. I used to come along to church on Easter just to keep my wife happy. Look forward to the really long prayer so I could rest my eyes. And then I would just be looking forward to going home and knocking off a few of these. Cadbury cream eggs. But just imagine with me, just imagine for a moment, what if there is more to it than that? What if there is? What if the death and the resurrection of Jesus is real? What does it mean that death is not the end? Would that make a difference to you? Because what Isaiah wrote here about the Lord is real. And the Lord wants you to know it. And he wants you to get to know him. He really does. So if you're here today because someone brought you along and you're really looking forward to getting home and knocking off a couple of Easter eggs, then I want to say that I think the Cadbury cream egg is possibly the premier egg on the market. And I'd like you to try it out for yourself. I've brought, there's a bowl on the back table there. As, and I, I'm being quite serious. I want you to grab a Cadbury cream egg on your way out, help yourself to one of those, and test it out for yourself. Every one of those eggs has got a little card on it with my contact details. So when you're sitting there and tucking in, send me a text and just tell me whether you think I'm right. Is this the premier egg on the market? Because I genuinely think it is. And if that's the only text that you send me, then that is absolutely fine. But while you're there eating that egg... I'd like you to test one other thing that I love, and that's Jesus. I want you to test him for yourself. So why are you sending that first text? Think about sending me another one. Let me know if I can buy you a coffee and tell you more about the bloke that beat death and offers you a chance to see that death is not the end too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for what you've done in the world by sending your son to die and to be raised again. For taking the punishment for ignoring you that we all deserve and instead providing a way for us to be forgiven and reconciled to you through faith. Father, please help us to see you truly and to see your love displayed in your plan to redeem us. And we pray for hearts turned to you in wonder and gratitude, assured that Jesus brings us to you forever. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.